Hi guys, uh, Pastor Greg Corcoran here from Battlefield Baptist Church. Uh, pray that this sermon is a blessing, an encouragement, and a challenge to you in your walk with the Lord. Additionally, I just wanted to say that if we here at Battlefield can ever be a blessing to you, please don't hesitate to contact us. And the best way to do that is through our website at battlefieldbaptist.org. Again, I pray this sermon blesses you, encourages you, and uh, that you'll fall more in love with God, more in love with His Word, and more in love with people. It is good to be in God's house. Amen. It's good to see you guys this morning. Hey, if you have your Bible, turn with me to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Just another word to uh, those who may be here for the first time or visiting with us again. Uh, been a while. Hey, I want to invite you to come. I know Travis is busting on my super chili bowl Sunday. But I want to invite you to join us, man. After you drop off your connection card at the information desk, receive that gift and whatnot. Come back to the gymnasium. I'm sure there's plenty uh, for you and those who've signed up today. Man, even if you didn't sign up, you're like, man, I, I smell the chili and now I'm a believer. <laughs> you come and you can, it's like, it's like I, I, I didn't think it was going to smell like this when I came to church today. But anyway, you come and you join us uh, back in the gymnasium right after service. And uh, listen, I'm looking forward to today's uh, Message and I pray you're looking forward to getting into God's Word. I want to ask you to continue to pray for one another. A lot of folks uh, been dealing with common colds, sinus infections, COVID, even those things. And then also, I want to ask you to pray for Art. He's going to need to have some more tests and fell yesterday. And we want to keep him in prayer. And I know that he's already had a, a whole host of tests. But we want to continue to pray for him during this time. And then others who are getting ready for surgeries and and whatnot and certainly uh where is tim tim rich creek i know marilyn is having her surgery this coming uh week next weekend so we want to pray for her hip replacement surgery as well and and certainly all those who are not feeling feeling up to par this morning but let's do this let's look at uh second corinthians chapter five this morning and we're going to dig right in drop down with me when you get there uh, I want you to look, beginning with me, at verse number 14 this morning. Verse number 14, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul, by the inspiration of God, he's writing to the church at Corinth again for a second time. And he begins here with a very, very important message for each and every one of us today. And he says these words, For the love of Christ constrains me, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Wherefore, henceforth know we no man after the flesh, yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we know him no more. Verse number 17, very familiar verse of scripture, says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature, old things are passed away, behold, all things are become new. Amen? Verse number 18, and all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world, that God was in Christ. Watch that again, verse number 19, reconciling the world, and then watch it says, unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Verse number 20, 
He says, now then, we, now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. Let's pray. Father, we love you. God, we thank you uh, for your word. God, we thank you for the fact that when this life beats us down, we can be reminded from Scripture that the battle actually belongs to you. We don't have to fight it in our own strength, but we can go in the armor, your armor, and we can give the battle over to you. And we're thankful that you are the same God yesterday, today, and forever. And so, God, I pray that today that you would open up the eyes of our understanding. Certainly, I pray that if there's somebody in this room or somebody watching online that has never entered into the greatest relationship of all, Lord, I pray that today, through your word and through your spirit, that you would draw them unto yourself where they might find forgiveness of sin through Jesus Christ, our Lord. God, I pray that you would use this message to not only to encourage us, not only to be a blessing to us, but God, that you might use your word today to challenge us. And God, we'll go away from here thankful. We'll go away from here more eager, more ready to serve you than when we came in. And we'll give you the praise and the glory for it because you're the only one that deserves it. And we'll do so in the precious and powerful name of Jesus and for his sake, amen and amen. Well, it was, I wanna begin with kind of an illustration Uh, First of all, you see the title on the screen, the question, are you driven by love? And this kind of is an ode back to our missions revival, but if you walk around the building, uh, you will see that these uh, questions uh, are kind of put on, on, on pictures all throughout the facility, this reminder to be driven by love, to be driven by love, and really this is what Paul is talking about here, but... I want to uh, tell you about 150 years ago, the, the site of the big hole in Kimberley, South Africa, if you guys would show that first picture there, it was nothing but a dull, flat hill. And this is a picture of uh, the big hole in Kimberley, South Africa today. And you look at it and you say, what's the big deal? It, it used to be this big, uh, kind of like a hill where all the local children would play. And uh, as the story goes, the local children were doing something that I'm very familiar with, something that I have been there and done that and have the scars to prove it. They were throwing rocks at one another. Anybody ever get into a rock fight? It's just me. Oh, (laughs) yeah, Rebecca. All right, so they were throwing rocks, picking up pebbles. They were throwing them, throwing them at each other. And and as the story goes, the, the reality is that the rays of the sun hit one of those rocks just right. And we're not sure whether it was a child or, or an older gentleman that actually r- realized, but those rocks that they were throwing had found a diamond in the midst of those rocks. And so the hill very quickly was inundated with thousands and thousands of people who traveled to Kimberley, South Africa, with nothing more, to be honest with you, nothing more than picks and shovels and a hope that they would find more diamonds. And so began at that time what has ultimately become known as the largest hand-dug excavation in the world, a place that today is still known as the big hole. There was no hole there before, but there is a hole there now. Over the next 40 plus years, these people who descended upon this place, they faced all types of deprivation, hardship. They faced famine. They faced thievery. To be honest, 
Uh, if I found a diamond, there were those who were seeking to steal those diamonds. And, and ultimately, there were many who were murdered in this place. And you say, what's the, what's the story? Well, you look at it, and if you go back to the first picture and you see the hole, it spans 42 acres of property. The hole's measurements, 42 acres, 463 meters wide, and 240 meters deep. The mine was active from 1871 to 1914. And the reality is, as I was looking at the website devoted to this big hole, I was reminded that there was a powerful force. There was a powerful force that drove thousands of people to Kimberley, South Africa. There was a powerful force that enabled them to go there and to hand dig, looking for the treasures of this world, so to speak. And that force was known as motivation. They were motivated by finding these diamonds. And, and the word motivation, think about it with me just for a second. It's defined as the reason or reasons one has for acting or behaving in a particular way. And I dare say this begins physically when we're born. Anybody think that? When you're born physically, you have a motivation to be fed. Are you awake this morning? Or this chili and the cornbreads got you so geared towards eating? You're not hearing anything. Listen, we're motivated as soon as we come out of the womb, right? We're motivated to sleep. By the way, anybody motivated to take a nap on Sunday afternoons? Yeah, it's all the 55 and older crowd. All right, all right. Oh, I'm sorry, I digress. Not the 55 and older crowd. We're motivated by a lot of things physically. But I dare say that spiritually we should be motivated at the moment we're born again. We should have a different type of motivation. You know, today they call it Super Bowl Sunday. And yes, everybody's wearing their team jerseys and whatnot. And here, let me just, let me just help you out with this. Because whether you like football or whether you hate football or whether maybe you used to like football and now you're mad because politics and everything else has entered the field of football, can I just tell you that Jesus still loves you? You don't have to be mad about football, sir or ma'am. You know what we ought to be mad about? You know what we ought to be upset about? We ought to be upset that people are dying without Jesus each and every day. That's what we ought to be upset about. To be honest with you, these two teams will face off in Arizona, and I've already been warned that I should not prognosticate as to who will win today. I have an 0-3 record this year. Although I just want to tell all you Eagle fans that the Reds, I mean the Commanders beat you all earlier this season. All right, so if the Eagles win, which a Redskin fan can never root for the Eagles, if they should win, just know that you were beaten by the Commanders earlier this season. But the reality is they're going to join, they're going to head to head, they're going head to head in Arizona and they're going after, they're motivated by this desire to win the Vince Lombardi Trophy, to be considered, watch this, to be considered the very best team in the NFL this year. Wow. And before money corrupted the game of football, anybody with me? Before money corrupted the game of football, before money corrupted baseball. By the way, I don't even know how these baseball teams play, pay their players so much. 
I really don't because the stadiums are usually half empty. But anyway, I digress. The reality is I remember when I was a kid. And I remember being motivated by a love of the game. And I, I believe, I just have to believe that somewhere, somehow, underneath all of the paychecks, underneath all of the politics, underneath all of the muckety-muck that has entered into the world of sports today, I have to believe that there still on some level is a love for the game of football that drives people to play. You ask me how I know. Just look at Alex Smith's right leg. If you've ever seen a picture of the leg after his leg was destroyed, this man rehabbed himself because he had a love of the game to get back out on the field, even when he was physically unable to do it. Spiritually, I think as believers, we ought to be motivated as well. I believe that, hey, listen, you go in a lot of churches, they'll talk about it, and a lot of, a lot of Christianity speak, they talk about methods of ministry, materials, manpower, and, and money and funding that takes to accomplish things all around the world, and those things are all true, and I don't have a problem with those, but if we're not motivated in the right way to do something, then typically nothing ever gets done. You know, until somebody gets intentional about their intentions, nothing ever happens. And so talk about this idea of motivation. You can see in the Old Testament, you read over and over how motivation played a vital part in the lives of those people who worshiped and those people who walked with God. And then in the New Testament, you think about early Christians and even Paul. They were motivated. And right here in this passage, Paul begins by sharing it. Look with me here in verse number 14. Because Paul says, he begins, he says, For the love of Christ constraineth us. Now, that's King James speak. And the word constraineth actually means, it literally means, watch it, to hem in. Anybody a seamstress here? Anybody ever done some work uh, uh, with, a, uh, with a needle and thread or a sewing machine? Let me ask a question. This is just a fact-finding mission here. Just run this rabbit out to the side. How many people actually use or know how to sew today? I know how to sew. Take a look around. It's a lost art. But notice what this word says. Constraineth literally means to hem in or to hold together, that is to compress. So in other words, Paul is saying, watch it, that he had been hemmed in, that he is being held together by what? The love of Christ. That's good if you'll just... Think about it for a second. He's saying, listen, I've been hemmed in. I've been sewn in. I'm being held together. I'm being compressed, if you please, by the love of Jesus Christ. In other words, this is my motivation for doing what I do now. You think about it, some translations that you're holding or maybe looking on your phone or whatever. In fact, uh, I use the CSB sometimes, and you look at the CSB, and it actually uses the word compel. For the love of Christ compels us. Well, the word compel literally means this. To force or oblige someone to do something. So the reality of verse number 14, look back with it with, in Scripture. Verse 14 is a reminder that God's love, watch this, that was proved by Jesus Christ on the cross who loved us and gave himself for us. The love of Christ, watch what he's saying. He says, has taken away our options in regards to what Paul's about to say. 
Well, what's Paul about to say? Well, we're going to find out here in a second. But the reality is that since Paul had been compelled or motivated or for the sake of the title of the message that he had been driven by love, the reality is Paul says, hey, let me share a few things with you. The love of Christ constrains us, it compels us, it motivates or it drives us to do this, this, and this. And so what does he say? Look with me here. You see, because Paul had come to the realization of the truth of Romans 5.8. You know what Romans 5.8 says, But God commendeth or proved his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Oh, listen, God who loves us, Jesus who died on the cross for us, they, he demonstrated his love by taking the initiative and dying in our place. That's an amazing, fun-filled fact for the believer today that we are hemmed in by the love of Christ. Guess what? You and I are hemmed in together as believers, as brothers and sisters, by the love of Christ. Amen? Oh, my friends, it's an incredible fact. And you think about it, God's love did not... One of the things I put in my notes, and I don't know if you ever thought about this, you know that God's love did not demand that you stop being a sinner. Christ died for the ungodly. He died for us in that while we were yet sinners. I didn't have to stop being a sinner for God to love me. For God so loved the whole world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Oh, listen, my friends. God proves his love in spite of our sinful condition. And this is what Paul is reminding us of here when he says the love of Christ, it compels me, it motivates me, it drives me to do certain things. If you look down, look at verse 21. I want you to see verse 21 because verse 21, I stopped short of reading it, but verse 21 says that God has made him, he's speaking of Jesus, God made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Verse number 19 teaches us that our sins are no longer accounted to us. Thank you, Linda. Our sins are no longer accounted to us. At the moment of salvation, God took all the sins. Watch this. I'll put it on me. He took all the sins that were accounted to me and my account. He took all of them. Right? He took all of my sins and he says, guess what? I'm going to type in the transfer system and I'm transferring them over to my son, Jesus Christ. And guess what? He didn't stop there. He didn't just say, you know, I love you enough to take all of your sins and transfer them on to my son. He said, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to actually tap into my son's account and I'm going to transfer all of his righteousness onto your filthy, rotten soul. That's, guys... This is a wonderful, beautiful passage of Scripture. And I get it. It's Super Sunday. And you got visions of wings and nachos and, and cookies dancing around in your head like it's Christmas. But when I think about the fact that God loved me so much that he said, you know what? The account of Gregory Allen Corcoran is not good. That account is defunct. That account 
is dead. That account is doomed. That account is depraved. That account, as we were saying the other night, listen, is disobedient. He said, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to transfer, I'm going to transfer the righteousness of my son. After I transfer that sinfulness onto my son, I'm going to turn around and take the righteousness of my son and actually place it on this sinful soul because I love him. And he does the same thing for each and every one of us. Because he loves you. If you don't get anything else today, please know that Jesus loves you. He died for you. He gave himself for you. Oh, listen, this is what we see in Scripture. Listen, because of God's amazing grace, he continues. By the way, he doesn't just do that for me. He continues to do it for whosoever should call upon the name of the Lord. So listen, you say, hey, the, the account has not been settled in my life yet. I, I got news for you. It was settled a long time ago on the cross of Calvary. All you got to do is open up. Oh, listen, my friends. Whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord is a powerful verse today and tomorrow and every day. Oh, listen, Paul, I don't know about you, but Paul never seemed to get over. He never seemed to get over the love of Christ. You think about his life. All the unrighteousness of, of Paul as, quote, Saul of Tarsus. Think about it. This is a murderer. This is a guy, as, as I'll say in just a minute, this is a guy who tried to eradicate. He tried to do away with any follower of the way of Christ. And his, his sinful slate, if you please, had been wiped clean by God. I don't think he ever got over that. And the righteousness of Christ was not only credited to my account, it was credited to his account. I just don't think he got over it. And the reality of this unmistakable, unshakable love of Christ hemmed Paul in. It held him together. It actually took away, watch this, I'm going to say something that's going to be, going to be I hope, eye-opening. It took away any other option he had but to be motivated by that love of Christ. When you're hemmed in, when you're compressed when you're held together by the love of Christ, there is no other option but to glorify him in your body and in your spirit, which are the Lord's. It's actually what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. So here's the question. Are you being driven by love? It's a simple question today. Are you being driven by love? Because, because I believe Paul was. And if you're a note taker, I just want to give you a couple of thoughts here this morning. I, I believe Paul was driven by love. Number one, Paul, I believe he was driven by love because he was convinced. Look at verse number 14. I stopped short of showing you how I know that he was convinced earlier. But in verse number 14, he says, For the love of Christ constraineth us because we thus judge. Now stop right there. He's saying, I'm convinced. He's saying the love of Christ compels us, it drives us, it, it motivates us because we are convinced. And that he was sharing his thought with other believers and he was reminding them, yes, we're convinced in what Christ has done. He, was, he had a solid conviction. Let me ask you a question. Do you have a solid conviction of who Jesus is today? Because if you don't, if you don't, this world will beat you down. If you don't have a solid conviction upon what you believe and where you stand biblically, I want to encourage you. 
Get into scripture. Today, the reality is I was listening to it yesterday and it has nothing to do really with the message. But for some, for, for some of the senior folk in here, which I seem to be getting closer and closer to becoming. By the way, I enjoy my senior coffee at Chick-fil-A. It's free. Um, but I was listening to the 70s station yesterday on the way in, very early in the morning to get things started for Upward Basketball. And there was an artist on the radio by the name Morris Albert. Does anybody remember Morris Albert? He's the cat who sang the song, Feelings, nothing more than feelings. And I was like, man, this is what we live in. We live in a world filled with feeling and sentimentality. Oh, pastor, I just don't feel good. Pastor, I just don't feel like it. I don't feel like it. I don't feel like it. <laughs> to be honest, but don't we live in a world filled with feelings and sentimentality? Oh, I just get sentimental over those things. Have you watched all the, all the uh, Valentine's Hallmark movies? They're so good. It's the same movie, different characters as the Christmas movies. It's the same movie. And if I took a poll, if I took a poll... And you women and you men, hello, if you would be honest, you have your faves on the Hallmark Channel. Oh, I don't watch that movie. I don't like her. I don't like him. What do you like? It's the same script, just different, different scenarios, right? Sometimes, watch this. Sometimes our emotions get the best of us. Are you following what I'm trying to throw down? Sometimes we get so sentimental over things that our emotions get the best of us. Now, I'm going to say something that somebody's going to walk out of here and think I'm anti this or anti this. Listen, I don't have any problem. I just finished a four or five week message series on being good stewards. I don't have a problem of being a good steward of, the, of this beautiful green earth that God created for us. And I don't have a problem with saving a whale. I don't have a problem with saving a panda. Or I don't have a problem with saving an endangered species. But listen, we need some good old-fashioned conviction when it comes to the fact that men and women and young people need Jesus. I mean, come on. We get sentimental, we send money to all kinds of causes, and yet we won't give a dime to send a missionary to Nicaragua. That's crazy talk. Man, that wasn't even in the message. I think the smell of the chili's getting to me. We just need some serious conviction. By the way, that's what Paul had. That's what he had. You say, how do I know? Look at verse 14 and 15. Because in verse number 14, look at the logic. I actually put it in my notes. The logic of his conviction. This world always wants a logical explanation for what, what, what believers want to do. Now watch the logic of his conviction. Verse number 14, he says, For the love of Christ constraineth us. It compels us because we thus judge. Watch, he says, we're convinced 
that if one, speaking of Jesus, if one died for all, then we're all dead. In other words, if Jesus died for all, if he died for the sin of the world, then everyone in the sin of the world was dead. Everyone in the world was in Adam. Everyone in the world were dead in their trespasses and sins. And then look at verse 15, and that he died for all, they that which live, in other words, those who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus and justified by faith, watch what he says. Because here it's come. Here it comes. He says that they which live, those who are in faith, those who are in Christ Jesus, if you are a believer this morning, Paul is saying that the love of Christ that hemmed you in, that's holding you together, that's compressing you together, should drive you Watch it, verse 15, should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Are you driven by love? Because Paul was. He was convinced. He was convinced that it was a love worth, worth being motivated by. He was convinced his life was, was radically different. Look, you think about it. Paul says in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, this is a very familiar verse and we see it all the time. Notice he says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. In, in other words, I'm hemmed in. I'm, I'm held together by the love of Christ. There's nothing I can do about it. I'm headed for heaven, as I tell people a lot of times. I'm headed for heaven, and there's nothing I can do about it. And he says, therefore, I'm being held together by Christ. I'm being compressed by Christ. And he says, I live Yet I don't live in my own strength. Watch what he says. He says, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. In other words, Paul is saying, folks, my old life is gone. When you come to faith in Christ, I know we want to tiptoe through the tulips back to the other way that we used to live or we want to walk a boardwalk right we want to walk the line in between the world and the things of the flesh and the things of the spirit but Paul's saying listen once Christ came in my life is totally different I'm done with what I used to be I'm a new creature is what he's saying in fact that's what 2 Corinthians 5 17 I just read it it says it says there, for if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Paul was convinced of this inescapable truth that he could no longer live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit and unto Jesus, who loved him and gave himself for him. He was convinced. And I just said in here, if we're going to be driven by love like Paul was, then you and I are going to have to be convinced about something other than save the whales. We're going to have to be convinced about something other than our job. We're going to have to be convinced about something other. And, and listen, I don't want to, I don't want to uh, sound like family's not important because it is extremely important. Because in the Garden of Eden, when God created Adam and Eve, he created family. But there's something even more important than family. And his name is Jesus. And the love of Christ. Paul says it, I'm hemmed in convinced I have no other option and neither do we but I noticed something else in this passage Paul wasn't only convinced he was changed he was changed by the power of the gospel look at verse number 16 
Because he goes on after verse 15 and verse 16, he says, wherefore henceforth, the word henceforth is King James literally for from now on. From now on, now that you're in Christ, he says, know we no man after the flesh, or in other words, from an earthly perspective, yea, though we have known Christ from that way or that flesh, yet now henceforth, from now on, know we him no more. We don't know him this way. Because of the change that had been brought about by Christ, Paul realizes that not only is he no longer free to live in sin, but he's no longer free to look at other people the way he used to look at them. This is a very tough thought here. How do we look at people? How do we look at people? Well, you don't get me started. This person, this person treated me bad. You know when they reviled Jesus, he reviled not. He said, bless them that curse you. Pray for them that despitefully use you. Right? Well, you just don't know. They treat me terrible, pastor. Have you gone to the Lord? And asked him to give you wisdom, asked you to give, asked him to give you strength. You see, it, we once we're in Christ, if we're being driven by love, if we've been changed by the love of Christ, we we no longer are able to see other people as we used to see them. We should be seeing them through a different lens, a different set of spiritual lenses, if you please. Before Christ, Paul devoted himself, as I mentioned a moment ago, he devoted himself to the literal extermination of anything and anyone who was a follower of the way. That's what he was doing. But you remember, the Bible also says that on the Damascus Road, when he met Jesus, the world didn't believe it, but when he met Jesus, everything changed. Anybody have that happen in your life? You come to faith in Christ, and you get around the old crowd. You ever go around the old crowd? Do yourself a favor. Listen, tell them that you've trusted Jesus. And listen, if they, if they want to come along, great. Start telling them about Jesus, right? But let me, let me encourage you. You're not to be hanging out with the old crowd. I'm not saying turn your back on your friends or anything. That's why you got to love them like Jesus loved them. Are you compelled to love them with the love of Christ? But, but here's the thing. You know what we do? We go around the old crowd and we tell the old crowd, man, you never guess what, man. How was your weekend? It's crazy. I, I, I got saved. I trusted Jesus. I turned, I turned from doing things my way and I said, okay, God, listen, your word, your spirit has brought me to this point. I want to do it your way. And the old crowd looks at you like you got four heads. You probably do appear to have four heads to them. But you know what the Bible says? The Bible tells me that Paul says that the love of Christ compelled him. It had changed him. He was convinced that he could no longer. I mean, he looked at Christ one way before, but he said, I no longer look at him that way anymore. And he's also convinced, he's also been changed. He says, I can't look at other people in the way that I used to look at other people. Listen, Paul had been convinced at one point that he was right and Jesus was wrong. You ever had that, that thought in your head? No, we're, you don't ever have those thoughts, only me. You ever thought you were right and Jesus was wrong? This can't be, this can't be your plan, God. This can't be right. Well, just be careful of telling God when he's wrong. 
because invariably he's going to show you that he's right. So Paul thinks he's right and God's wrong, and God says, no, I'm right, you're wrong. <laughs> no, Ricky Bobby, you're wrong. You see, Jesus revealed himself to be the, the way, the truth, and the life to Paul. And his life was forever changed. He realized Jesus was, in fact, the Messiah. And he also realized, you know what he came to the realization of? Not only did he realize Jesus was Messiah, he realized that he was the chief of all sinners. He had a, he had, he, he had a moment where he was convinced of who Jesus was. And in that moment, he's changed. And in that moment, he realizes, I'm not so smart. I'm actually the worst of all. And you're the greatest of all. Oh, listen, in the moment the Lord imparted uh, to Paul and to every believer a new nature, a new attitude, a new perspective, if you please, a new set of eyes to see others the way that Jesus sees them. Listen, in Matthew chapter 9 and verse number 36, it was Jesus when he saw the multitudes. You remember the Bible says he was moved with what? Compassion on them. Do we see people the way that we used to see them? Because I got news for you. I put down in my notes, the way that we see people is a huge indication of whether you and I are being driven by love. How do we see people? Because Paul was convinced and he was changed. And by the way, in this passage of Scripture, God's Word is teaching us that the love of Christ that hemmed us in has taken away the option of seeing people the way that we used to see them. Oh, we must see others as a soul in need of a Savior. And then, not only was Paul convinced and changed, we see that Paul was committed. Look at verse number 18. I'm going to wrap this up here. Verse number 18, the Bible says, And God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Remember, before it said that you and I had been reconciled by God. In other words, you and I had been rescued. We had been redeemed. We had been set free. And so now it flips the coin and says that now we've actually been given the ministry of reconciliation. Well, hold on. I don't reconcile anyone and neither does anyone. Christ is the one who reconciles, right? We, we go out and we sow the seed of the word. But watch, it says God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Look at verse number 19 because drop down, it, scripture goes on and says that he has committed unto us the word of reconciliation. And then in verse number 20, now then we are ambassadors for Christ. Listen, as someone who was seriously committed, Paul captures the attention of these believers in Corinth and he captures our attention. The word of God captures our attention even today to remind us that we have been called to a serious commitment by calling us to be ambassadors. And here's the thing, I mean, I, I, I'm not really sure that we really need to run down the road here, but think about it. An ambassador lives in a country other than their own, typically. I mean, there are some ambassadors who live within the states, but typically, if I'm in the ambassador to another country, I typically live in that country, right? Even in a governmental way. And so an ambassador lives in another company, uh, country. An ambassador's purpose is to represent the government, not him or herself. An ambassador's message, you ready for it? The ambassador's message as believers, we, listen, they go to propagate the message of the government, not their own message. Ambassadors go on, don't go overseas and tell, tell the, uh, the uh, uh, foreign government what they think. They go over and tell them what our government thinks. And the dangerous thing is, who are, what administration are you an ambassador for? On both sides. What are you telling them? 
Well, you're telling them the message of the leadership at that time. As an ambassador does nothing, watch this, that will hinder their effectiveness. You ever heard of an ambassador getting in trouble in a foreign land? Or have you ever heard of ambassadors of other countries here getting in trouble? Oh, yes, it happens a lot. But here's the deal. Spiritually speaking, as ambassadors, it really hardly needs application. But the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 11 and in 1 Peter chapter 2 that we are strangers and pilgrims in this earth. This world is not our home. Our conversation, our citizenship, as Paul says in Philippians 3.20, is in heaven. Oh, listen, it's not our home. We represent the government of Jesus Christ, if you please. And the only message that you and I, as ambassadors, are called to propagate, the only message that we're called to share is the love and the truth that Jesus saves, Jesus saves. We have heard the joyful noise, the joyful sound that Jesus saves. By the way, since we're hemmed in by the love of Christ, an ambassador recognizes that they need to live their life in a way that will not compromise their mission. Should we sin so that grace should abound? God forbid, Paul says. See, Paul was convinced. He had been changed, but he was also committed to representing Christ well. I put in my notes as a reminder that today there'll be a whole rack of football players There'll be a whole rack of coaches committed to one goal. The goal will be to win the Super Bowl championship. What goal are we committed to? I think back on the coach of yesteryear, Vince Lombardi. Here's what he once told his players. <laughs> you think this is coming from a, a, a pastor, but notice what coach Vince Lombardi said. He said, when we place our dependence in God, we are unencumbered and we have no worry. He said, in fact, we may even be reckless insofar as our part in the production is concerned. He said, this confidence, this sureness of action is both contagious and an aid to the perfect action. He says, the rest is in the hands of God and this is the same God who has won all his battles up till now. And yes, I put Vince Lombardi talking to Washington Redskin quarterback Sonny Jurgensen. I could not put him up there with a Green Bay Packer. As recipients of Christ's love, our game plan is not our own. We have a new coach. <laughs> we have a new coach. And can I suggest to you, not just Sunday, you know that world of NFL has Super Sunday. Every Sunday is super with Jesus. But not just Sundays. Every Monday is super with Jesus. Every Tuesday, every Wednesday, every Thursday, every Friday, every Saturday. Every day with Jesus is super, or at least it should be. Let me ask a couple of questions. Are we convinced by the love of Christ? Have we been changed by the love of Christ? Are we committed? Listen, because we have a new perspective, are we committed to representing Christ well? Are we committed to sharing the love of Christ with others? Oh, listen, there's coming a day when our king, our king is coming. He, hey, he's coming. He's going to appear in great glory. And the reality is that you and I need to occupy and live today and tomorrow and the next day 
in the very best way that we can because we are his ambassadors. As believers in Christ, we are no longer free to live for ourselves, but should be living for him who died and rose again for us. And I can tell you this, it's not going to be easy. This life is not easy. In fact, I don't find anywhere in Scripture that says trust Jesus and get an easy life. By the way, for you prosperity gospel lovers, I don't find anywhere in here that says trust Jesus and get rich quick. Not earthly wise. Because in Christ Jesus, we have all spiritual blessings. As we've been talking about on Wednesday nights, we're rich. Just not in the way that the world thinks that you ought to be rich. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 31, Paul referenced the fact, he said, I die daily. He said, I die daily. And then in Philippians 1, you remember in Philippians 1 and verse 21, he said, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. But I think about this. In fact, look with me at Romans 8. Romans 8. I want you to see this. And then we're going to wrap it up. Romans chapter 8. In Romans chapter 8, when you get there, look down to verse number 18. It's not going to be easy. It's not easy. As ambassadors, listen, nobody's guaranteed it's going to be easy. But look at Romans 8 verse 18. Paul says, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which should be revealed in us. Soon and very soon there's coming a day when the sufferings of this world, when the heartache of this world, when the pain of this world, with, the, with anything that we're dealing with, the struggles of this world and on and on will be distant memory. In fact, I don't even know that I'll remember it. Or at least I don't know that I'll want to remember it. In fact, if you're at Romans 8, I want you to look down. Look at verse 31. You see, because Paul was just getting warmed up. In verse 18, he says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which should be revealed in us. But when he gets over to verse 31, he continues. Look what he says. Incredible passage of scripture. He says, What shall we then say to those things? If God be for us, who can what? Be against us. In verse 32, he that spared not his own son but delivered up also for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us? Here we go. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Paul says, remember, he says, for the love of Christ constrains me. I've been hemmed in. I'm held together. I'm compressed by the love of Christ. And over here to the church of Rome, he writes here, he says, he says, who shall separate us? Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are encountered as sheep for the slaughter. He says, no. He says, nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Watch what he says, for I'm persuaded. In other words, he says again, I'm convinced. I've been changed. I'm convinced. I'm committed. But watch what he says. He says, I'm persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He was convinced. 
Because he had been changed, and because he had been changed, and because he was convinced of who Jesus was, Paul was committed to loving people just like Jesus loved him on the cross. Are we driven by love? Because I'm not sure. I look around and I see the state of the church today. And let me just say, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But I look around and I see believers so sentimental about everything under the sun except for Jesus. Carried away with all kind of stuff. And if we're not careful, that's us too. If we're not careful, it's me too. We have to be careful of this. We have to be reminded that it's the love of Christ that hems us in. And because of that love, we have no option. We have no option to see other people the way that we used to see them. We have no option to see Jesus the way we used to see him. We must, we must, we must go in the power of his might. Oh, the love of Christ should compel us. If so, I just put here, if you're motivated, if, if the love of Christ is compelling you, then you will be motivated to faithfully execute your duties as an ambassador. By the way, at the beginning of the message, I shared the story of why thousands of people descended on a hill in a place called Kimberley, South Africa. They descended on that hill because they were motivated to search for a worldly treasure but it's just as I recalled that story, I'm reminded that there was one, Jesus Christ, who ascended up a hill called Calvary. And his purpose for going up on that hill, because he was motivated by love. Do you know him? Do you know him today? Are you convinced? Has your life really been changed? I mean, come on, guys. It's Super Sunday. It's Super Chili Bowl Sunday. Come on. Has your life been changed? Are you convinced of who Jesus Christ is? Because if you're convinced and your life's been changed, then just like Paul admonished us in Scripture, I want to admonish you now with all that I can. We got to get committed. We got to be committed. We got to be committed not to see people the way we used to see them. We got to be committed to go in the power and the strength of Jesus Christ because we are his ambassadors and this is exactly what he desires for each and every one of you, each and every one of us. If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ but you know, but you know the word of God and the spirit of God is bringing you to this point of decision, what are you waiting for? The Bible says today is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. If you've never been saved, do you know that you don't need me to be saved? I bring nothing to the table, right? I give you Jesus, right? I remember singing a song years ago, back when we actually used cassette tapes. The young people are like, what's a cassette tape? The name of the song was, I give you Jesus. If the ship of your life is tossing on the sea of strife, I give you Jesus. Whatever you need, sir, whatever you need, young person, ma'am, 
You know Jesus is the answer. He wants to, he wants to walk with you and talk with you. He wants a, a vibrant relationship with you. Christianity is not about religion. It's about the greatest gift that's ever been offered to humankind. The offer of a relationship with God. That's what it's all about. And if, you, if, if you've never been changed by the power of the gospel, I pray that today, that today you'll make that choice. You say, what do I do? Listen, listen, I don't have a hocus pocus magical wand, right? But the Bible says that if we will call upon the name of the Lord, he will hear us, he will save us. If we turn from our sin, if we say, God, I actually know I'm a sinner. Listen, no one had to tell Greg that he was a sinner. I knew I was a sinner. But when the word of God got a hold of my heart and the spirit of God, right, drew me to this point, I knew that without Christ, I was headed for an eternity separated from God. And I said, yes, Lord, yes, to your will and to your way. Oh, yes, Lord, yes, I will answer and I will obey. There's no greater life than to trust and obey. If you're sitting here, if you're watching online and you have never trusted Christ, Super Chili Bowl Sunday would be the greatest day ever to make him your savior. And you can do that right where you sit. You can come, I'll pray with you. Whatever your desire, we'll do it. If you're here and you're a believer, but you know that you're not being driven by love, the reality is if you're not being driven by the love of Christ, you're being driven by something else. And Paul says, we don't have an option. There's no other option. We must be driven by the love of Christ. And so I pray that if you're a believer here, it's been a long time since you did some business with God that you would do business with him while we sing a song of invitation. And I know that he will hear and he will answer and he will give you strength. He will give you wisdom. He will give you the desire of serving him in a better way because that brings him honor and glory. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. I pray that you'll have your will, that your will will be done during this time of invitation. God, that our answer will be yes and yes. Lord, for those who don't know you, I pray that today will be the day of salvation. For those who do know you, but know that they are not committed, but Lord, have been reminded today and they're recommitting themselves to their role as an ambassador to going out from this place as the light of the world. God, I pray that you'll give them the wisdom and the wherewithal to do just that. God, we love you and we thank you for this precious word that you have given us to remind us of these beautiful things because of the love of Christ. God, we pray this in the precious name of your son and for his sake, amen.